This morning we will be looking at the end portion of Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that you would reach us with your word. That by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would impress the truth of your word upon our hearts. That it might take deep root and that we might be changed by it. This we ask in the name above all names. The name of our great God and Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for me to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? It's an important question that we ask ourselves, especially for anyone who claims the name Christian. Because after all, on its most basic level, that's what a Christian is. A follower of Jesus. Before we drill down into any of our subgroups, we must first and foremost be a follower of Jesus. And this morning, Luke gives to us the stories of three people 
well, four actually, three separate sets of people, if you will, that explain to us what it means to follow Jesus, that help highlight for us what we should think about as we follow the Lord. First, we look at a Samaritan village. And then we look at the man who said he would go anywhere with Jesus. And then thirdly, we look at the two men who looked back. Three different stories with related lessons of what it means to follow Jesus. Let's begin then by looking at this Samaritan village that we see in verses 51 to 56. Our passage opens up, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is a good reminder to us of the purpose of Luke in writing this gospel. Each week, I keep bringing this up, but it's critically important. Because you see, Luke's gospel is much more than simply an account of the sayings and the doings of Jesus. There is a purpose behind all that is written. Jesus is on a mission. And we see this from the very first words, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. It's a, it's a very odd phrase, but what it actually means here is when the days were fulfilled or were being fulfilled, Luke is giving us a signal here. You may or may not know that in the ancient world, when people wrote books or material, they didn't write it as we do, with pages that turn and and bold type and different fonts of size. No, it was all run together on one scroll from beginning to end. And if you wanted to highlight something, you had to do it through the use of language. And that's what Luke is doing here. This is a break in Luke's gospel. From this point on, all the way through to chapter 19, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem, both literally and metaphorically. Jesus is now through with the beginning of his ministry, and he is about to fulfill the ultimate task that the Father has given to him. This may seem odd because it comes in the middle of chapter 9. We might expect it to be at the beginning of a chapter with big letters. But you see, chapter and verse divisions are arbitrary. And here at verse 51, we see Jesus beginning in earnest his final walk to the cross. Jerusalem is the ultimate focus for Jesus. It is the place where Jesus the King will be renowned. It is the place where Jesus the Prophet will bring God's Word to God's people. And it is the place where Jesus the Priest will sacrifice Himself for the redemption of His people. Jesus is on a mission and He is resolute. His face, Luke tells us, is set to go to Jerusalem. And this sets the stage for this whole passage because in contrast to others, Jesus is unwavering. He is on a mission that is no accident. He has reached the point of no return. He cannot go back. He only goes forward to the cross. 
He is firm in knowing exactly where he is to go. This is important for us, isn't it, as we follow Jesus? You don't want to follow someone that isn't sure where they're going, doesn't know what the end is. We experience this in our families, don't we? I've had this experience myself as I go certain places and I'm relatively certain of where I'm supposed to go, at least until I'm not. And and I have my children in tow and we start to go to, to perhaps we're looking for a store in, in a shopping mall or we're trying to find a business on a road and I'm, I think it's this way, I'm sure it's this way. And there comes that point in time when those who are following you, they think, Dad doesn't know where he's going. Why are we following him? Right? You don't like to be following someone who's unsure. Praise be to God, we never have this issue with Jesus. Because Jesus always knows where he is going. He will never lead us astray because his face is set toward the purpose of the Father. There is no chance Jesus is resolute in where he is going. And this means he will not be deterred from where he is headed. No opposition can stop Jesus from going to the cross. We will see this in chapters to come. As the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, as so many, as even some of his own disciples try to stop him from going to the cross, Jesus is resolute. But more than being resolved, it also means that He won't be distracted either. This is more than a firm decision. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we get distracted by things, don't we? Usually this will happen to us as we seek to find out some information or research on the Internet. We go to go look something up and we see something. Oh, that looks good. Oh, there's a video I haven't seen. Oh, here's an interesting article. And then we forget what we got on in the first place. But you see, Jesus won't be distracted. His eyes are set on the prize. And as we follow Jesus, this is a good question for you and for me to answer. What distracts us? We can say that we follow the Lord Jesus, that we trust in Him by faith alone, that He is our only source of life and hope. But are we constantly finding our heads twitched by vacations or money problems or relationships or other needs or desires? You see, Jesus is resolute in his journey. And as we follow him, we must be resolute as well. We must not be distracted. Jesus comes up first outside a Samaritan village. And this gives us, at first initial glance, something that we expect. It's sort of obvious. The first place that they come is a village of Samaria. And Samaritans were known for their hatred of Jews. Perhaps only surpassed by Jews' hatred of Samaritans. They didn't believe in the same God, exactly. They didn't worship at the same place. The Samaritans didn't have the same Bible. They only believed in the first five books of the Pentateuch. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim, not at the temple. 
And there was a long-standing hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. So what you have to understand is the very last thing a Samaritan would want to do is to help someone get to Jerusalem. It would be as if I came to you and said, oh, would you please help me get to the capital of ISIS? Could you please help me get to the Taliban's headquarters? I need to help them out a bit. You would say, well, no. Why would I possibly want to help you do something that's wrong? You see, there's hostility here right from the beginning. I think Jesus knows and understands this because he does something interesting. You see, in verse 52, he sends messengers on ahead. And they go and enter the village to make preparations for him. Now, I want you to understand, these are a people hated by the Jews. These are the people with horrible theology, bad views of worship, bad views of the Bible, and still Jesus reaches out to them. The interesting thing is, is this turn of phrase that Luke uses, that the messengers went to make preparations for him, can actually be taken one of two ways. And I think it's intentional. The first and most obvious way we might take it is that the messengers are going on ahead to prepare things for Jesus. Prepare a room or food to make sure that Jesus has an easy time of it as he comes in to help him along his journey. But the irony is is that the language can be taken in exactly the opposite fashion also. That they went on ahead to prepare Samaria for Jesus. To let them know that Jesus was coming. To let them know what Jesus' purpose was, that his face was set on Jerusalem. And then what we see is something completely unsurprising. The people did not receive him because his face was set to Jerusalem. You see, the Samaritans reject Jesus because they reject God, because they reject the truth. They have everything wrong and they like it that way. This is unsurprising and perhaps all too familiar to us because We see this all the time, don't we? We see people out in our world that we like to tell about Jesus, to tell about the Lord, and it's completely unsurprising to us when they tell us to get out of town. They don't want Jesus. They don't need Jesus. Why are you bothering me? I don't believe in those things. I believe in this or I believe in that. Get away from me. And you see, the interesting thing is, if you are like me, your reaction is something between shrugging your shoulders and contempt. Well, I guess if you don't want to listen, it's on your head. You're rotten people anyway. I'll leave. This is too often our reaction to those who reject Jesus, isn't it? And we follow in our spiritual forebears, because you see what James and John do, don't you? They hear about what the Samaritans have done, and they're offended. They're zealous for Jesus' honor. They're truly upset that they would dishonor Jesus like this. That these people with their rotten worldview and their rotten theology could not understand not only what's best for them, but what is Jesus' due. And they look at Jesus and they say, You want me to call down fire on them? You can do that in a minute. They deserve it. Now, 
we might expect a certain response from Jesus. They've rejected Him. We see how important the gospel and the kingdom is to Jesus. We might expect perhaps even Jesus to agree and that they need to be taught a lesson. But Jesus does something completely surprising to us. As unsurprising as the rejection was, so surprising is Jesus' reaction. He turns and rebukes James and John, not the Samaritans. Why? James and John were zealous. They were theologically right. The Samaritans were worshipping in the wrong place and the wrong God. Is Jesus all of a sudden transformed into a universalist? Has he gone from no one comes to the Father except through me to, well, can't we all just get along? No, I don't think so. But you see, what Jesus has here is a lesson for you and for me. His approach to the town at, in Samaria is less about whether the Samaritans will follow Him and more about whether the disciples will follow Him and truly follow Him. For you see, Jesus is telling them that if they are to follow Him, they must not only be theologically correct, they must not only be zealous, they must be like Him all the way, they must have compassion, they must have mercy. They must follow Jesus all the way. You see, being right is not everything. Now, don't get me wrong, it's important. I'd rather be right than wrong. Having zeal is not everything. Now, don't get me wrong, I'd rather be zealous than lazy. But we must couple these things with our attitude, and with a mindset of mercy and compassion. How we exhibit zeal is critical. We need more than zeal and knowledge. We need compassion and we need mercy. And you see, Jesus is saying to His disciples, you have to understand, they are theologically wrong. They do not know what they're doing. They need to be corrected. They will be judged. But not now. Don't speed up God's judgment. Now is a day of mercy and grace. Judgment will come. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we can tend to act like James and John, forgetting Jesus' point that we sit where we sit today because God is not quick in judgment. He had mercy and grace upon us as we sinned, as we rejected Him, as we were lazy, as we were thoughtless. We live in the day of the gospel and mercy. There is a day of judgment coming, but we are not called to judge at the expense of mercy and grace. And the good news of the gospel is exactly that. Because you see, this one who says, Lord, really, can we call down fire on him? Who just previously said, Lord, you know those guys over there? They're casting out demons without a license. Can we stop them? Can we stop them? This one, who's so harsh 
So judgmental. What's his nickname in the Bible? What do we call John? We call him the Apostle of Love, don't we? Because he's known for his love. And you see, the great comfort of the gospel is that the gospel following Jesus actually changes us. That because John followed Jesus, he was changed. He became a man who stood for the truth without wavering, even at the cost of his own life. And yet he spread the love and the compassion of the gospel. Even when he was rejected, he kept reaching out because he knew that that was the command of God. There's a great irony here that James and John are not acting like Jesus and Jesus will make them like himself. Well, there's a second story that comes up along the road. It's a story of the man who said he would go anywhere. Look with me, if you will. It begins at verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. These are very bold words, aren't they? Now, notice the difference here between this interaction and other interactions Jesus has. Even the ones that we'll see later. Here, it is the man who initiates this contact. He comes up to Jesus. He's zealous to tell Jesus all he is ready to do for him. Now, let's be honest. We would love to have this guy as a target for evangelism, wouldn't we? How wonderful it would be if you walked up to someone and said, have you ever thought about who Jesus is? And they said, well, no, but now that you mention it, yes, I think I'll believe in him and follow him all my days and go to church with you tomorrow. Would that be good? That's far better than get away from me and get out of town, would you? Stop bugging me. But you see, here there's an open-ended confidence that this man has, but Jesus sees into the heart. You can't fool Jesus. Jesus knows there is more going on under the surface. He knows that this man is not ready to follow him. Because you see, this boldness and this confidence, it hides something. It hides a lack of awareness about what it actually means to follow Jesus. Do we think about that in our own lives? How do we follow Jesus? You know, it is easy to speak boldly, especially in church, especially amongst other Christians, to speak how bold we would be and how we would do anything for the Lord. But the question is, do we really think about what that means? Do we think about the implications of it? Are we willing to change our lives based on that commitment to follow Jesus? Do we recognize the hardships that are there? Jesus points them out to us. Jesus, he seems to be like the worst trained evangelist in the world. A man comes up to him and says, I'd love to follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus says, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have any place to lay my head. 
and you say, do you think to yourself, Jesus, have you ever heard of the phrase, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar? Why are you blasting this guy? And the point is, Jesus isn't interested in numbers. Jesus isn't interested in the surface. Jesus wants the heart, and he knows what this man's heart is bent upon. And he is trying to get this man to understand that following Jesus means more than he thinks it does. That it involves hardship. That it involves suffering. You see, we are willing to follow Jesus because, to be blunt, We live in an age and in a nation where it is exceedingly easy to follow Jesus. Now, I don't mean to minimize the struggles that believers go through. But our children are not being beheaded. Our daughters are not being kidnapped. We are not being tortured. Our villages are not being burnt to the ground. You see, oftentimes we think that what we need to think about to follow Jesus is how much better our lives will be if we add Jesus to them. And that's what our evangelism takes. We walk up and we tell someone how much better their health could be, how much better their finances could be, how much better their relationships could be. And then somewhere on page 32 in the fine print, we bury the statement, and you know, you might have to suffer a little bit. And then we wonder why when people face trials and tribulations, they fall away. Because they've been sold a bill of goods. And you see, Jesus doesn't play bait and switch. He tells this man there is suffering to come. And this phrasing that he uses isn't about the fact that Jesus always camps out in the grass. No. We know from the scriptures that he spends time at Peter's house and at Mary and Martha's house and at other homes. What does that mean? It means something far more applicable to you and to me. It means that if you will follow Jesus, this world is not your home. It is a place you are passing through. It is not a mansion that you build and add on to. It's Motel 6. It's a place where God has you for a period of time. Now, The pastor here is not telling you you must leave the service this morning and sell your cars and sell your home and sell all of your clothes and everything you own just to follow Jesus. But I am saying this. Are you ready to if God asks you to? He may not be asking you to. But if He asks you to, are you ready? Because all over the globe, our brothers and sisters are being asked to do exactly that. To leave behind everything they have. Just to follow Jesus. This man said he would go anywhere. But you'll notice, there is a big difference between talking and walking. There's a third story that Luke gives us. It's actually a story of two men and And they're similar. It's the story of the two men who looked back. And that begins at verse 59. To another man, Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. 
But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then there is a second man who says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are two men with the same problem. They're not quite ready to follow Jesus. Now, it's a different issue than what we had before. Now, notice here, it's even the interaction is different. Here, Jesus initiates the contact. Before, one was too quick to promise. Now here, one is too slow to perform. And there is a telling word in each of their statements. Do you see it? Each of them are ready to follow Jesus. But first, they have to do something else. They're ready to follow Jesus after they've completed what they want to do. You see, it tells us that willingness is not enough. Willingness is not enough when it is on our terms. If we are to follow Jesus, there must be a sense of urgency in our following Him. And and Jesus makes this stark to us with this statement. If we were floored by His statement about not having a home, this statement seems downright harsh. The man asks if he can go home and bury his father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Go preach the gospel. Now, could you imagine that? Could you imagine if someone walked up to you? We have this vision in our minds of a a body in a casket. And Jesus saying, you can't go to the funeral. What does Jesus mean? Is he that heartless? No. No. You see, we have to understand first and foremost that Jesus sees to the heart. And then secondly, we have to understand the context here. You see, the Jews, when someone died, buried them within 24 hours. Because they didn't have embalming. And so they buried people right away. That means if this man's father was dead, he would not be talking to Jesus. He would be getting the funeral prepared. He would be at his father's body. You see, what he really means here is, my father is old. My father is infirm. I don't know, Lord. He could live a week. He could live a month. He could live a year. I don't know. And when that's done, then I'll go and follow you. Do you see that? It's not just getting things done in order, it's a matter of priorities. What he's saying is, Lord, before I follow you, I have to be with my family and take care of my family. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you're standing around, not following me, checking off the box, anyone can do that. The spiritually dead can bury the dead. But if you want to follow me, If you want to truly love your family, if you want to truly care for your family, you must start now following me. You don't put me off. You see, it's a short way to putting something off to not following through at all, isn't it? You moms know this full well. You ask 
one of your children to perform some task, could you please take out the garbage? Could you please rake the leaves? Could you please pick up the living room? And you hear those magical, mystical words. In a minute, Mom. Oh, 15 minutes from now, Mom. And the clock goes by, and what happens? Yes, nothing. Because, you see, we put it off. We put it off in our minds, and then we never do it. But it's not just children who do that, is it? This happens all the time to, to all of us. We have tasks that we, we're not sure are that important. And so we say we'll get to them and we put them off. I have several matters that I have been getting to for between 15 and 16 years. And occasionally, my wife will remind me. And I will say, in a minute, I'll get to it. And you see, that's what Jesus is saying here. The heart of this man is, Jesus, you're not important enough yet. I'll get to you just in a minute, Jesus. Just wait for me. Let me take care of what I want to take care of first. And you see, if we think about this this way, this becomes far less about whether or not a body is to be buried, and it strikes far closer to home to you and to me. Because the question then comes to us, what are you putting Jesus off for? I'll follow you, Jesus. Just let me get through college. Just let me start to have kids. Just let me get retired, Jesus. Then I promise I'll follow you. There's a a second man here. And this man has a request that seems even, even simpler. He says, Lord, let me go say goodbye to my family. Now that seems a perfectly reasonable request. If this man had a Bible in his hand, he might even flip to the book of Kings and show Jesus where Elisha asked Elijah before he became his disciple if he could go and say goodbye to his family. And Elijah said, yes. So why don't you let me do that too, Jesus? Jesus has again this seemingly harsh phrase, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you have to understand, Jesus knows exactly what this man is trying to do. He knows exactly the excuse he's trying to use. And it's wonderful the wit with which Jesus answers. The story of Elijah and Elisha is Elijah comes and he asks Elisha to follow him. And Elisha asks if he can say goodbye. And Elijah says, sure. And while this is happening, Elisha had been plowing in a field. And what he does is he takes the oxen and he sacrifices them and feeds them to his family. And he takes all of the implements, the harness, the leather, the blade, and he burns it in the fire. And he basically destroys it. And he says, I'm never coming back here again. I'm never farming again. It's all gone. And it's almost as if this man thinks that he's going to give Jesus this excuse. You know, they let Elisha go, and Jesus looks right at him and he says, I know exactly the story. By the way, anyone who's plowing, who looks back, isn't fit for the kingdom of heaven. Because you see, what the man wanted was not to go home and kiss mom on the cheek and go. Elisha did that. And he left everything behind. This man wants to go home 
and be with his family and make sure he's sure about following Jesus. And you can almost imagine the scene that would follow as he goes to say goodbye to his parents and his mother looks at him and she says, Now, son, are you sure about this? I don't know about this young rabbi. Is there a good future in it? Who are his disciples? What are they like? No, no, no. You, you don't want to have any part of that. You just stay here with us. Come, sit down. We'll have some nice lunch. You see, this is an excuse. And what Jesus is saying here is there needs to not only be a sense of urgency in following Jesus, we need to follow after him right away and not put things off. There needs to be a sense of focus in following Jesus. That's why he uses this statement about the plow. Anyone who has ever been around anyone who's farmed knows how you plow, right? You take the plow and you cut the furrow. And what happens when you look back to see if what you're doing is straight? You're all over the place, right? The only way that plow can go straight is if you take a fixed point out there and you keep your eyes upon it and they never waver and you keep going straight. That's what Jesus says. If you're going to follow me, you've got to focus on me like a laser beam. You can't look back at the sins that have been forgiven and wonder how you could have been so bad. You can't look back at other things and say, you know, I missed that life behind me. You can't look back and try and find solutions. You have to look to Jesus. The only way you can follow Jesus is to look forward squarely at Him. The temptation to look back is overwhelming at times. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to look forward because that is the only way that we can have complete trust in Him. It is the only way that we can stop ourselves from hedging our bets. We're all in or not in at all. So this morning, the question comes to you from Luke and from Jesus. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Him in mercy and grace and compassion? Will you follow Him with a sense of urgency that nothing else can get in the way of your following Jesus? Will you follow Jesus with a focus that makes everything else fade to gray? For you see, that is how Jesus calls to be followed. Following Jesus is not simply a destination. It is a complete change of life and perspective. This is what we are called to, to trust in the Lord and to follow Jesus. Let's pray.